welcome to Talking Research. I am Asmita and this is a podcast that features in-depth interviews with prominent academics and researchers who study sexual violence across its different manifestations. This conversation features an in-depth discussion of sexual violence, both in specific cases and more generally. If this is something that you find disturbing, please feel free to stop listening at any point. Today I'm talking to Dr. Hannah Bose. Hannah is currently an assistant professor in criminal law and she's director of equality and diversity within Durham Law School and she's also co-director of the Center for Criminal Law and Criminal Justice and deputy director of the Center for Research into Violence and Abuse at Durham University. Her research focuses on violence against women, victimology and 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 a lot of other things but today what we're talking about is her work on violence against older people so um a difficult conversation but a really important one something that we don't talk about often enough something that we need to think about and look at more so let's dive in Hello Hannah, welcome to Talking Research. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, to start, I like to ask guests how they like to introduce themselves in a way that, you know, they would introduce themselves. So how would you introduce yourself? Uh well, I um, if I was using I guess in a professional context, I'd say um that I'm Dr. Hannah Bowes. I'm an assistant professor in criminal law at Durham University. Um, and my research predominantly focuses on different types of violence and abuse against people over the age of 60. Right. And how did you get into researching this? Uh that's a question I'm asked uh, quite a lot actually. Um <laughs> I think because there's so few of us researching in this area people are always intrigued as to how I've, I've ended up doing this type of work. Um so back in 2012 I was doing a masters at Durham University and as part of that I was taking some modules on uh, violence against women. and at the same time i was doing some research assistant work for professor nicole westmarland who who you know it does a lot of work in in the area of sexual violence and domestic violence and so through both the um masters and also my work with nicole i was doing a lot of reading around different types of violence against women and i noticed that nearly everything i was reading was really focused on a particular group of women um and that was really those aged between 16 and 35 maybe up to 40 but certainly not beyond that and that got me intrigued really as to where the older women were um and so i did a little bit of of digging um in particular i was interested in what our national crime survey the crime survey for england and wales um collected on this group and mm-hmm. um and and found very quickly that actually they didn't collect anything at all at the time so they had an upper age limit of 59 on the particular part of the survey which collects data on domestic violence and sexual violence and so we didn't have any uh data on a national scale at all on these types of violences against older women um and that really sparked my frustration i guess but also my interest and led me to do um my first study my phd in this area and and subsequently i've gone on to do other work hmm, why do you think that is that there's barely any data barely any studies on violence against older older women so i think um there are a few a few reasons really so in terms of the national data the the crime survey data they had um a number of justifications for not having a, a higher age limit um one of which was that they felt people over the age of 60 may be reluctant to or unable 
um, to use a computer for the purposes of the survey because this part of the crime survey is, um, is slightly different to the rest of it in that it's a, a self-completion survey, which means mm-hmm. essentially you're given a, a laptop or these days an iPad with the questions and you're sort of left to complete that on your own, whereas the other parts of the survey, it's an interviewer who actually sits and asks you the questions. So because of that, there is an assumption, I think, that older people might be reluctant to, to use it or might be unable to use it. Um, but of course, that's a very ageist sweeping generalization that people over the age of 60 wouldn't be able to or wouldn't want to use a computer um so that you know sat really uncomfortably with me anyway and the other the other reason they gave was that actually older um abuse of, of older people and violence in in the um context of a an older person's life within the home might be confused with um elder abuse essentially so what they were saying was that a lot of interpersonal violence against older people is actually elder abuse and should be captured in a separate survey. Um, and that has lots of, of problems with it as well. You know, the, the idea of separating abuse of older people is, is something that um, I take particular issue with. Um, and then I think, you know, in addition to those national um, data collection issues or justifications, I think that we very uh, much, even as researchers in this area, um, internalise the sort of belief that this is predominantly a young person's problem, so it affects mainly young women and perpetrators are predominantly young men. And I think even though we know that violence against older people, in particular violence against women, um, happens across the life course and it doesn't just affect young women, mm. nevertheless, I think actually our um, our research and our focus, our campaigns, everything has focused on that group and that's helped to internalise this message that actually it's young people who experience this um, and therefore age is, is some kind of protective factor and means that we don't need to really explore it in, in later life. Yeah, yeah. And for me, when I ha- I have a grandmother and she's, I have two grandmothers, but one of them is 90 and she is um, disabled and she's paralyzed. So, you know, she's constantly on, she, she can't move, she can't leave her bed. Um, for the most part and you know my aunt is a full-time caregiver and uh, you know I go see her every day and after reading her work I was suddenly very conscious of how at risk she is I mean even though she is constantly looked after and you know my aunt never leaves her alone but there will be people around and there will be you know sometimes someone who's helping in the house or someone who's you know just visiting and there to say hi or something and you know I was suddenly very conscious of how this is a thought that never even crosses our mind that this might be you know this might be possible and um yeah I mean I think reading your work made me realize how uh this is this isn't even considered an issue for the most part I mean not in the mainstream coverage not in uh how sexual violence or violence against women is portrayed and and you said you talked about elder abuse just now and uh before we started recording we we're talking about elder abuse and y- you said you have issues with how it's sort of this catch-all uh phrase for looking at violence against women and th- th- it, it is problematic in its own sense so why is this phrase problematic Yes, yeah, so um, there are a number of reasons really that I think it, it's quite unhelpful when we're talking about um, what is essentially interpersonal violence against older women. Um, and I'll, I mean, my research is not just focused on women, but as as predicted, I suppose, 
most of the victims of the type of violences that I've been uh, looking at, so sexual violence, domestic violence um, and domestic homicide, they do disproportionately affect women. So mainly be talking about women, you know, during our conversation, but some of these things do apply to older men as well. Um, so the reason that I think the terms are unhelpful um, are for a few reasons, really. So first of all, in labelling something a, tip, a specific type of abuse, so in this case, um, a, a type of abuse that affects older people, which is what is implicit, if not explicit, in, in the label of elder abuse. Um, you are suggesting that it's a, a, a different or a separate type of abuse to that which you might experience in younger life. And certainly when we're talking about interpersonal violence and abuse, so that, that which is committed by a partner, an ex-partner or, or a family member, that actually is domestic violence. That's captured within our definitions of domestic violence and domestic abuse. Um, and so for me, you are ex- uh, obscuring what is actually domestic violence by calling it elder abuse. And in doing so, you are suggesting that it's a separate issue that is age related. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, we use the term elder to describe the abuse. Um, and, and that can carry with it sort of victim blaming um, uh, and also some sort of ageist presumptions and stereotypes as well. Um, it's also problematic because it lacks any clear definition. It's used very differently in different countries and by different organizations and even different researchers. So there's no agreement over what elder abuse is. Um, there's actually no agreement over what elder <laughs> means. Um, mm-hmm. And so like you described before, it's become a bit of a catch-all term, which can, for some people, can mean any type of crime and abuse against older people, even if it's committed by a stranger, um, you know, like an uh, opportunistic theft, for example. For some people, that might be classed as elder abuse, uh, whereas for others, it's simply theft, and the person happens to be older, but it's not because they are older that this has happened. Uh, Whereas other people use a definition that is quite narrow, and they're talking just about abuse in the home. Others use it to refer to abuse in institutions, which is quite different in its dynamics um, and its its motivations and its manifestations than uh, mm. than domestic violence is. So it's a it's a fairly useless term now in the sense that it lacks that that definition. It doesn't have clear parameters. No one actually can agree on what elder even means. Um, but also when it is used, for me, it, it obscures the, the reality of what we're actually talking about. Um, and suggest that this is a separate issue which requires a separate analysis. And in some way, it's, it's very different to abuse of younger people. And the evidence simply does not support that. Yeah. Yeah. And you've talked about this really interesting concept, the real rape myth, and how um, because violence against older women is not, you know, it doesn't fall within those parameters, it's not taken as seriously. So what is the real rape myth and how have your findings about violence against older women challenged this? So the real rape stereotype or the real rape myth is this idea that um, rape is something that happens to um, young women. So typically young white woman who is attacked by a male stranger, also a young male stranger, um, usually at night, in the dark, um, perhaps walking home from work or from a a club or something like that um, and the the rape is, is carried out usually in a public place or a semi-public place and is very violent so it's literally a, a man sort of snatching a woman off a street and you know and perpetrating this very physically violent rape and that um, has been for a long time the sort of stereotypical idea or image of what rape is 
And we've had lots of research over the last three or four decades, which has consistently shown that that type of rape is very rare. It does happen, but in less than 15% of cases. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's for, the, for the most part, rape and sexual offences are committed by someone you know often in the home. Um, and they don't involve this sort of physically violent dragging from the street um, scenario. So we know that that this myth is a myth in most cases. It's not what most rapes look like. However, it persists in other ways. So even though the research has shown it's not the case, we see it in images of rape. We see it in films that depict rape. Um, we see it in our campaigns and awareness raising. They often feature a young, white, attractive woman who um, is most at risk by a young, usually quite attractive man uh, in the context of the nighttime economy or walking home. You know, women are told to not walk mm. on their own and so on and so forth. So even though we know it's, it is a, a stereotype um, and that we shouldn't be focusing on it because it, you know, it forms a relatively small proportion of rape, nevertheless, it persists um, in society and is um, sort of perpetuated by these campaigns and things. Now, aside from all the other problems with the, the myth and the stereotype, you know, it excludes the vast majority of rape. Um, it also excludes different types of victims. So people that aren't young, people that aren't white, people that aren't fully abled, because those are the images that we tend to see in the depictions of this real rape stereotype. Um, and for me, obviously, you know, my focus has very much been on, on the fact that it focuses on young women. Um, so older women are excluded from it because they don't fit the real rape stereotype, they're not a young, attractive woman um, who has been raped by a young, attractive man. Um, and inherent to the real rape stereotype really is this idea that men are, are sort of attacking these women because they are you know, sexually desirable and sexually attractive and, and the man essentially can't help mm. himself. You know, it's built into this idea of, of yeah. the real rape stereotype. Um, and so older people who are um, typically, certainly in our society, viewed as asexual, as sort of age is seen as a process of decay and deterioration it's not something that is associated with being sexually attractive um you know for all of those reasons they don't then fit this real rape stereotype and so they've been excluded um from research but also from our, our campaigns and our policies and our um sort of dominant images really in understandings of violence against women Mm, and your findings basically challenged this in that the 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 surveys and the studies you did you found that like you said earlier, it was mostly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it was mostly um, family members and um, non-trusted people who were perpetrating this violence? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it contributes to the, the broader research in that mine has shown that rape against older uh, people, predominantly it's older women who are raped by um, men who are um, usually the same age or slightly younger than them, but they're certainly not the the very young male, which is depicted in the real rape stereotype. Uh, most of them happen in the home. Uh, most of the time, it's someone they know, either a family member or someone they've, they've got a relationship with in some other way. Um, and so actually, it shows that rape against older women is, is similar in lots of ways to rape against younger women. There are some differences um, which are perhaps age-specific. So, for example, some rape, um, about one one in five occur in a care home. So there are some areas where age, you know, is is um, is important in the analysis because it may mean that there are risks in, in different um, areas that perhaps are less likely to manifest for younger people. But um, mm. but by and large, rape of older of older women is very similar to rape of, of younger women, and so it 
again, it contributes to this challenging of the real rate stereotype because it shows that actually whether you are 5, 15, 25, 35 or 65, 75, 85, um, rape is most likely to happen by someone you know. It's most likely to happen in your own home. Um, and actually this idea of the young woman being the most at risk on the street you know, from this, this stranger is just not true. Um, and I think my research has shown that that's also not true of older people, that you know, rape does happen across their life course and it's similar uh, at all stages. Mm. Yeah, and you've also found that building up on this, that it mostly happens in homes, you know, and um, and 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 it, it's it's someone in the family. And previous studies have shown that it it's usually children and grandchildren. But you've also found that in your case, it was husbands and partners as well, um, right? Yeah, that's correct. So. Um... Husbands or ex-husbands or partners, um, so spouse um, and uh, family members and what we would call broadly acquaintances. So people that the um, older person knows but perhaps isn't um, close enough to be classed as a friend or isn't close, to, close enough to be classed as a, a partner. Um, they also formed a, a significant proportion of, of the sexual assaults, the rapes and the sexual assaults. And that, again, is broadly similar to younger people. Um, if you look at the national statistics on, on rape and other sexual offences, by and large, it's either a partner or an acquaintance. So somebody that you are dating, um, but you know mm. you don't know that well yet. Um, but they're not, so they're not a friend, they're not a partner, but they're not a stranger either. Um, or people that you may know, um, for example, if you were in a, in a care home, it might be some another resident, not someone that you know closely, but someone that you know of. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so whether, whether, again, whether you're 25 or 85, the, um, the dynamics actually and the characteristics of sexual violence are um, surprisingly similar. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I haven't thought much about this before, so it's very new to me conceptually. And um, I'm just trying to understand and if, I'm wondering if you've looked at perpetrators and sort of. Um, and this is the same for any rape case, like you said, age doesn't matter. But um, I'm especially interested in that transgression and, you know, especially within a family setup. So I'm, I'm curious if you've looked at perpetrators and what, what we know about perpetrators. So we know very little. Um, there's been hardly any work done at all, really. I mean, to, to be honest, there's been very little done on victims as well, but even less on perpetrators of violence against older people. Certainly for the work that I've done, um, for the sexual violence work, um, as I said, the perpetrators tended to be known, but they were younger. Um, so most perpetrators, about 66% of them, were under the age of 60, most of them aged between 40 and 60. So so not young, young, but, but they are younger than victims. Um, and um, most of them are perpetrating these offences, as I said, in the home, and um, most of them know the victim in some kind of way. So we know that, by and large, the, the sort of features or the characteristics of perpetrators are the same. What we don't know, though, is um, about the histories of these offenders, whether or not they um, have offended before, whether they have offended against older people before, or whether actually they've committed offences against young and old, or, you know, how how their backgrounds look in terms of offending um, and we also know very little about the um, other sort of characteristics of those offenders and their, their backgrounds so 
um, whether or not they uh, work, for example, whether or not they tend to be from particular backgrounds in terms of um, health. So um, have they got histories of mental health problems? Do they have drug use problems? So on and so forth. So we know very little actually about the um, the sort of profile, I suppose you would say, of, of mm. sex offenders. And actually, we don't know all that much about sex offenders um, against younger people. There's been less research on them than there has been on them. Um, on victims mm. uh, so I guess in that sense we need more research you know ac- again across the life course and I think the problem at the moment is that uh, research still tends to be focused on particular groups and I guess I'm guilty of that as well because I'm focusing on on older people and I'm doing that because I'm trying to plug particular gaps in in literature and understanding but I think moving forward what we need is more research that looks at um, these these problems from a victim and a, a, an offender perspective across the life course so we get that full un- and comprehensive understanding um, and are able to do that analysis you know which is hopefully a bit more complete and comprehensive whereas at the minute it's fairly fragmented because we're always looking at particular groups or particular circumstances yeah and how do we move towards this um so i think uh we need some recognition first of all um that these issues don't just stop at a certain age and therefore we need to be extending our analysis to look at um, violence across the life course. I think that's starting to happen a little bit more with offending um, in general because we have a, um, you know, uh, currently we have a, a situation where we have a rapid growth in the numbers of older people who are um, in our prison system, for example, or who are being sentenced, sometimes for historic things, sometimes for recent. Um, and I think that has really pushed. Um, some some areas of our research to think differently because we've always assumed that offending stops at a certain age the, the same way that we have assumed that victims you know victimization stops at a certain age mm. so I think there's a little bit more recognition um on the offending side now that actually we're going to have to start looking at offending uh involving larger cohorts of people than we have done before and including older people in that um but I don't think that's happened yet for victims. I think we're still very much focused. And there, there absolutely is a need to do focused work. But I think if we only do focused work, we don't get to see that that comprehensive um, picture that allows us to kind of see the, the differences and the similarities across the life course. Because instead, we've got these little boxes of research looking at particular groups. And then you have to try and pull those together and and, and paint a picture with them and actually different methodologies, different definitions, different approaches means that it can be very difficult to compare that data in a way that produces meaningful results. So I think we need a shift, really, um, in the way that we look at violence and abuse, particularly violence against women, uh, to not just look at them in their own older people in their own right, but actually to incorporate them into the broader violence against women research that we're doing. Mm, you've highlighted that it's, it's a fact that Britain has an aging population and you know i mean it's obviously very very important to tackle these issues but it it becomes even more pressing given that you have an aging population and how little we know about it as a society so how do you think we can tackle it i mean i know it's a very big question but as societally what do you think the first step should be uh yeah absolutely i mean this problem isn't going to go away uh, obviously and um we do have a rapidly aging population and I think most of the research, my own included, but other people's as well, is really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what it tells us about um, different types of violence and abuse. 
there are lots of reasons why it is harder in some circumstances to do research on older on older people and it's also harder um for them to report or engage in research so um i think for those reasons we don't have a very good understanding at the moment we're very much guessing about about what the prevalence might be um so we need to build up a, a reliable um data set essentially that tells us more about the extent of this problem and um characteristics of it and also you know more about offenders um and again i think when we're um discussing uh, discrimination and we're discussing inequalities we need to get better at including ageism um it really is the forgotten ism i think to be honest mm. we've been certainly in even in, in feminist um research and in um campaigning and things we've been much better at taking an intersectional lens as far as i mean we're not perfect at it by any means but we've been better i think generally at recognizing the importance of intersectionality in terms of recognizing um diversity and the way in which that that can create additional challenges or particular um barriers for uh, women in particular from um you know different groups so you can't make claims about um how women experience something if actually you've only looked at the experiences of um able bodied women um yeah. and in the same way that if you only look at white women because actually all these other identities and all these other discriminations overlap and intersect to create particular experiences and particular challenges so we've been better at doing that but we haven't done it with age age is still pretty forgotten if you look at the um if you google intersectionality and look at the diagrams that come up the venn diagrams age is missing from nearly all of them it's just not really been at the center of what we've done and i think it's the last ism to be properly um challenged and it's certainly in the context of gender we haven't been very good at recognizing ageism as well as some of the other uh, forms of discrimination that we know are important in um, in tackling violence against women so i think we have to turn our attention properly to ageism if we're going to make um any sort of serious um commitments to challenging this issue because without doing that i just don't think that that's possible yeah and i'm noticing that for the most part you're talking about violence against older people and you've said that uh you know older women are especially vulnerable to um sexual abuse and other forms of violence but it also affects older men so what is the um what 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 does the picture look like i mean from what you've studied like how is there are there any estimates or statistics that that you know of yeah so there are um, mainly from the sort of elder abuse field which um as i've i've explained before has has particular problems that makes it quite difficult to sort of make meaningful claims from some from some of the data um so there is some that looks at violence and abuse of older men um certainly my own found that older men formed a very small proportion of victims um but as i said this this research mm. is really the tip of the iceberg i don't think that this will will give us an accurate picture and i'm sure the numbers of older men um is is higher than has been reported in my research equally i think the numbers of older women will be higher than is reported in my research um but in certainly in the sexual violence um stuff it was men who were mainly being sexually assaulted and raped by the men obviously rape is um a a sex specific crime in the sense that it can only be committed by a man um but even on the other sexual assaults that i looked at it was still men being predominantly sexually assaulted by other men um and again similarly in that it is in their own home um usually by somebody that they they know um an acquaintance for example or or somebody who might be a friend or a partner um 
with the other research that I've done with homicides, there's, a, there's an interesting picture emerges actually. So um, we know that with um, older, uh, with, well, with women, sorry, in general, they are most likely to be killed by a man, usually a partner or an ex-partner. Um, and so we call those domestic homicides. Uh, whereas men, by and large, are killed by other men. And usually it's a stranger or someone acquaintance they know of, but not necessarily someone they're very close to. And actually, that's true in later life as well. So men continue to be most at risk of being killed by other men, um, typically a stranger or an acquaintance, whereas older women continue to be most at risk of being killed by either their um, partner or ex-partner or their adult son. So um, we do need a sort of gender sex based analysis of different forms of violence against women and men because they do manifest differently. But I think the key thing that we can take away from, from this, the research to date is that the vast majority of perpetrators of these different types of interpersonal violence, regardless of the victim's sex or gender, um, are men. So men are responsible, as they are with, with younger people, for the vast majority of violence and abuse. Mm. And picking up on what you said about rape being perpetrated only by men because, you know, it involves penal penetration and this this definition is changing in certain contexts like in certain legal contexts it's becoming more inclusive um so i mean i'm looking at this and honestly it's a little difficult for me to talk about just because you know it's it's not an easy conversation right and you do this work on an everyday basis and you're looking at these uh this data with these cases and you know identifying patterns and i'm just wondering how difficult it is for you to um sort of balance your emotional well-being with your work yeah i mean any type of work that looks at violence and abuse of people is um you know is difficult to do it's uh, and particularly i think depending on the type of research you do we can with some of the work i've done it's it's looking at statistics and although um, it's unpleasant to see, you're dealing with numbers. Um, and so I think there is an, a, an ability perhaps for me to um, have some kind of detachment, I suppose, with, when I'm doing that type of work. But when I've done um, more qualitative research that has involved speaking to, to older people, in particular older women, about their experiences of sexual violence, or um, when I've been involved in, in looking at um, domestic homicide reviews, you know, for example, where actually you learn more about the background of these people and also about their families. That's much more difficult. Um, I um, and some, you know, some days it's 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 impossible to do this type of work, and I have to take a break from it. And I think that's really important because, you know, sort of self care, for want of a better term, is is really mm. needed when you're doing this type of work, whether it's research or whether you know you're on the ground as a practitioner. Uh, it's it's not easy to do, but um, having said that, I think I take for me what keeps me going is that it's it's needed, you know, um, and that I hope that the work that I do contributes to making a difference in so, in some way um, for individuals, hopefully, but also you know what I'm doing this work because I want to see a change in policy and a change in practice so that it will improve the experiences um, of those who are accessing support services and those that you know, um, want to report their experiences, but also hopefully it means that at some point we'll be able to work um, on some sort of really serious prevention uh, initiatives and, and, and that will actually prevent these things from happening in the first place. So um, that's what keeps me going. <laughs> but uh, mm. well, that, that and wine. 
Um, but um, but yeah, the uh, there's no doubt that that this work can be hard to do and and hard to talk about. Um, but it's important, and I think that's that's why I keep doing it. Right, and I mean, what you said about making a difference. I mean, I want everyone listening to be able to take something away and to be able to make a difference on their own level. So where do we start? I mean, you've you've said that you're advocating for policy changes and changes to the law, but where can we as individuals and you know not just restricted to any country because this happens everywhere in the world it's not just restricted to britain obviously so what can we as individuals do about this so i think there are a few things that we can do on an individual level um the first thing is to have a conversation about this so um you know when we're talking about domestic violence and sexual violence and other types of interpersonal violence with our communities our friends our families you know even if it's in a relatively informal way um are we inclusive in the way that we have those conversations? You know, are we including, obviously, from my perspective, I'm, I'm particularly interested in age, but, you know, we need to be having inclusive conversations about these things anyway. Are we saying things or are we talking about these issues in a way that actually perpetuates some of the myths and stereotypes that exist? And if so, you know, let's address that. Let's stop talking about them in, in a way that paints that picture of the young person who's most at risk, you know, of sexual violence or domestic violence. Um, so I think those sort of conversations will help to change the way in which we talk about and understand these problems. And then for those that have any involvement in policy or those that, you know, design campaigns or whatever, again, thinking about, you know, who's actually reflected in those, who are the policies serving, who's had a voice at you know, the table in designing those, um, have you included older um, people in those discussions have they had a chance to contribute are they depicted in the images um, but equally as I said it's not just age for me we need to just be more inclusive in general so um, is it only white women and white men that are depicted is it only able-bodied people you know is it very um, heteronormative and heterosexual the campaigns and the policies that you're developing because if so that's really only going to suit a very small proportion of society um, and you are in doing that, whether you are intending to, you know, or not, you are perpetuating isms, you know, and 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 that really contributes to the very issues we're talking about. We know that um, sexism, ageism, um, racism, all contribute to violence and abuse. So if you are doing things inadvertently that actually perpetuate those, then you are part of the problem. And so that whatever solution you're trying to come up with, it isn't going to be effective. So I think having those conversations, challenging ourselves to um, to, to recognise some of the inherent um, stereotypes and myths in, in what we say and what we do um, and, uh, you know, making sure that the policies and the campaigns and the practices that we're developing really address those as well. Mm, and what is one legal change that you want to see um, coming about? Um, so uh, that's an interesting question. And I'm not, whole, um, well, I, I remain unconvinced, actually, that the law is the answer. Uh, to a lot of these things. In my view, most of the laws that we have for different types of violence, um, particularly, say, sexual violence, you know, the laws actually in themselves are, are pretty good. For me, it's more procedural. It's the way in which we apply those laws. It's the way in which we uh, interpret them that causes the problems. And those interpretations and, and, and the applications of the law are often um, problematic because they are informed by yeah, those inherent um, racist, ageist, um, sexist views. So mm. for me, it's about challenging those and making sure that our policies and procedures for using the law 
um, are tighter on those things and they, they don't allow for the isms to be introduced, which are, are what affect the um, utility and the success, really, of the law when, when we seek to rely on it. That's great. And what does future research look like for you? So um, I'm really excited to um, be starting a new project in March. So that's been um, funded by the British Academy um, as a, a Wolfson Fellowship, which um, will involve me working with a couple of police forces and also um, the Crown Prosecution Service and various other great stakeholders to um, look at criminal justice outcomes and decision making in cases that involve um, a victim over the age of 60. So it's not limited to any particular crime. We're, look, we're interested in, in how age might um, affect outcomes and decision making in different crimes, actually. Um, and, mm. and for me, it's really important because we know anecdotally at the moment that older people have um, poorer outcomes in terms compared to younger people in terms of um, convictions or lower convictions, should I say, lower conviction prosecution rates. We don't know why exactly, and we're not sure at which points in the in the process um, they have a higher chance of, of dropping out, or there are decisions that are made um, that affect you know the, the the outcome of that particular case. And so um, the, the research really aims to do to do that to find that out. So we'll be tracking cases from report to court um, to identify where decisions are made and, and whether or not age and potentially ageism affect the decisions that are made and therefore the outcomes in those cases okay so it seems like there's a lot to do and um i let you get back to it but thank you so much <laughs> for talking to me and um for all of us the the message is to keep talking and to keep older people in mind when we're talking about violence and we're talking about tackling violence but really to just keep talking so thank you anna thank you for talking to me thank you for having me And that was Dr. Hannah Bose. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, leave feedback, all the social media and contact information is in the podcast description and leave a review, leave feedback, suggestions, anything I can do better, let me know. But like Dr. Hannah Bose said, keep talking and keep thinking about how we can all work towards preventing sexual violence. And if you would like to read her research, there's a link to some of it that we discussed today in the episode description. So check that. And also there's a link to organizations that support survivors in the podcast description. So check that out if you need that. And yeah, happy holidays. Check back next Sunday um, for a really special end of the year episode. I'm really excited about that one. And happy holidays. Have a good one. Take care of each other. And thank you for listening. I am Asmita and this is Talking Research.